Jesus calls us to keep our word. He says in Matthew 5, let what you say simply be yes or no. So as followers of Jesus, if we say something, the people around us should have complete confidence that it's true. There shouldn't be any doubt as to whether or not you're deceiving them or exaggerating or not being totally honest. If we say we're going to do something, then we should be trustworthy enough to actually go do it. We should be faithful. See, our God in heaven is faithful. And so we have been created and then called to reflect his character by being faithful to him and to others. But if we're honest with ourselves, far too often we're not faithful. We don't keep our word. We go back on our word. We break our promises. We are an unfaithful people. And you see it all the time. You see it in marriages. Or you see husbands who fail to delight in the bride that they have promised before God. They, they promised to protect her and to cherish her. But a lot of husbands don't. You have, you have wives who, before God, promised to respect their husbands, but they fail to then honor them. And it's in the smallest ways where we can even be unfaithful when we don't repay a bank loan that we agreed to pay. It's not being faithful. There are so many examples of where we give our word and then we fail to do it. But in the ultimate sense, we are unfaithful to our God who has created us for his pleasure. We exist to delight him. And when we are living for the pleasure of God, then what happens, the beauty in this is we ourselves are filled with pleasure and with joy and with purpose. And when we turn to other things for our joy and our pleasure, then we're being unfaithful to God. We are not fulfilling our purpose for existence, and so therefore we are not filled with joy and peace and purpose. And so ultimately we are called to be faithful to God and also faithful to others. On this Friday morning, when I ask you a question, do you desire to be faithful? Don't answer that too quickly, but ponder it. Do you honestly want to be a person who is faithful? If you want this joy and peace that only God can give, that can overflow inside of you, that then results in greater faithfulness to him, then the solution is one that we talk about every single week. The remedy, the solution is to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We must keep looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For it is through beholding the glory of God that we are transformed from one degree to another. And so we continue to look to Jesus. We continue to focus on him. 
we continue to enjoy his presence, to seek him through his word in community with a faith family. So we continue to look to Jesus. That is the only way that our hearts will be changed so that we will no longer desire the things that would just fuel our own selfish agendas, but we will then actually want, we will desire to be faithful to God and to others. See, when you see God, it changes everything in your life. But this has to be through your eyes of faith. God's word never talks about hearing the glory of God. It doesn't. It talks about hearing the word, and when you hear the word, it activates your faith, and then that leads to seeing him with your eyes of faith. So the goal is to see him, to savor him. So seeing and enjoying the glory of God, that is the essence of worship. Seeing and enjoying him is what it's all about. It's why we exist. And that happens when we hear his word. And so seeing the glory of God with the eyes of your heart leads to your heart being changed, which is why throughout the summer we've been meditating on this theme of seeing God. We have considered the call to behold him. We have seen the magnificence of God. We have been seeing the wisdom, the goodness, the mercy, the justice, the love and the sovereignty of God throughout the summer. And as I mentioned last week, my prayer has been, for not just for myself, but for our faith family, my prayer has been that the heavens will open, that we will see the splendor of Jesus. That's what we need. You might think you need something, but really you don't need it, whatever that it is. You don't need it as much as you think you do. What you need is for the heavens to open so you can see the glory of God. And when you see that, you will begin to lose your grip on those things that would take your heart so far away from the God who saved you and loves you. May the heavens open. May we see him, be found in him, define who we are by him, have our hope in him. And so today we're actually concluding this series on seeing God by seeing the faithfulness of God. When you see our God who is faithful, it will be healing for your soul. It is freedom from anxiety. It's hope. In uncertainty. It's courage to change. Seeing God's faithfulness is confidence to truly pursue God's calling in your life. Where you think you're put on the shelf and you're not. You're not on the shelf. He wants to use you to display his glory by making and developing disciples. He wants to use you, but you don't have the courage. Well, seeing that he is faithful will infuse you, fill you with courage to go and do what you know he is calling you to do that you've been so afraid of. We need to see that our God is faithful. We're going to ask four questions this morning 
as we look at Lamentations chapter 3. Now, before we turn there and look at Lamentations 3 to see that God is faithful, we need some context. Let me give you the first question. It's here on the screens. What is the faithfulness of God? That's the first question we need to answer. What exactly is the faithfulness of God? Well, by definition, next screen here, the faith, faithfulness, the word means steadfast in affection or allegiance. So that's kind of a, a textbook definition of what faithfulness means. It means steadfast. Steadfast means consistent. It means that you're not giving up and so ongoing. And so it's steadfast in affection. This is how you express your love, what you enjoy, what you delight in. You have your affections towards. So it's being consistent in what you love, but in your allegiance. So that's loyalty, what you're loyal to. And so in other words, when someone is faithful, they are dependable. Someone who is faithful can be trusted. So they're trustworthy. Why? Because he or she keeps their word. They keep their promises. They have a proven track record. You know their character. So when they speak, even if it's hard to hear, you believe them. Why? Because they're faithful. And so our God is eternally and perfectly faithful. And being faithful is what makes God, God. And so part of the very essence of God's character is faithfulness. And so he is faithful, here on your next screen, just taking notes, he is faithful to his character. And so we see in the word that he is faithful to who he is. And so he is consistent in his character. God does not change. And so you see, over the summer, we talked about different characteristics. We can know who God is and see him. Well, God is faithfully just. He is faithfully holy. He is faithfully loving, and he's faithfully good, and he's faithfully merciful. And so anything you say about who God is, you can add the word faithfully to it because he's consistent. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so God's faithfulness is who he is, faithful to his character. But he's also faithful to his purpose. He's faithful to his purpose. And so he consistently displays his glory in all that he does. Because that is God's purpose, is to display his glory. Our purpose is then to reflect that glory by being satisfied in him. And so God, in all that he does, he is always working towards the end of displaying his infinite perfections, working circumstances in your life so that you will be conformed to the image of Jesus, so that you will image him, reflect him more. And so he is always consistent. Everything he does is working to reveal his glory. So he is faithful to his purpose. But he's also faithful to his people. The faithfulness of God is most clearly and most gloriously displayed by keeping his promises. 
That's what it means to be faithful. You keep your word. And so God is the God who makes promises, and he always keeps them. He is faithful to his people. Now, God's faithfulness in the Bible is consistently connected to, it's tied to covenant relationship. So whenever you talk about God being steadfast, God being faithful in the Bible, it always goes back to the covenant that he made with Abraham that was reestablished with, well, several times, again, with David. That was the same covenant that Jesus then kept, the same requirements. And so let me read to you out of Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know, therefore, that the, that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God, hear this, your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Steadfast, same thing, means faithful. So it says he's faithful, he keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And so God is faithful and he is steadfast to those who love him and keep his covenant, keep his commandments, his word. And so when God entered into a covenant relationship with his people, with Israel, the covenant had requirements. It had conditions, stipulations. It was. Now, God had his conditions that he would be their God that he be faithful to them, that he would bless them. So God was committed to blessing his people, to love them, to rescue them. So God had these commitments, but his people also had commitments and also had regulations and stipulations, which was, we just read, love him and keep his commandments. And so this covenant has two parties, God and his people, and both have requirements. God's going to love and bless. God's people are to love back and obey. And then if that happens, then you would have a wonderful relationship where God's glory would be displayed because he entered into this covenant with Israel so that when they would love and obey him, they would be a light to the nations. Those who did not know God would see that God's people lived differently, that there was one true God. And then through this light and how they lived, revealing God's glory, people would be compelled to come and, and join God's people to worship the one true God as well. So God has always been faithful to his people. He's cared for them and loved them. If you read the Bible, you see God's people were consistently unfaithful to God. They did not keep the covenant. They did not keep their end of the agreement. They failed. They sinned. They broke the relationship with God and broke the covenant. And we are no different. You and I are just as unfaithful to God as the ancient Israelites were. Just like they ran to the idols of the Asherah poles and, and Balaam, we run to our idols, our idols of work and pornography and food and other relationships. We run to our idols just like they ran to theirs. 
And so we are equally unfaithful to our God. And we do it in such small ways. And there's this Christian ease, there's Christian language that it's, it's, it amazes me how, how we say things so easily but don't always follow through. Like we'll say, oh, I'll pray for you. But then you don't actually go pray for that person. But you're just saying because the person will feel good, but if you don't actually go do it, you're being unfaithful. Or, or we'll say, I'll be there. But you have no plans to be there. You're being unfaithful. Or you say, oh, I'll, I'll help on this ministry. But then you don't show up, or you're late, or you're not committed to it. You're being unfaithful. I mean, there's so many ways that even within the church that we can exhibit unfaithfulness. I mean, we'll say things like, I love you. Easy to say. But oftentimes our actions prove us to be liars. Because the truth is that we actually love our comforts more than that person. And so our actions betray us. We say, oh, I love you, but we're actually, that's not actually true. Maybe you love them, but really you love your comfort more. So we're unfaithful. I mean, again, I'm not trying to be a dark cloud. I'm just trying to be honest about who we are. And we are unfaithful. See, God is faithful. We are faithless. God keeps his word. We don't. God has kept all the covenant regulations. We consistently break the covenant with God, break that relationship. And so we are the ones corrupted by sin, not God. So here's a key question that we need to consider is how can God continue to be faithful to a faithless people and still be a holy God? Hear me. This is not on your screen, so just you follow me, okay? How can God continue to be faithful to a faithless people and still be holy? Because we saw this a few weeks ago, God is holy. He demands holiness. He demanded from his people holiness to be in a relationship with him. I'm holy, you be holy. And so if God continues to be in a relationship and be faithful to an unfaithful, faithless people, then he is compromising his holiness. And that was the question that Israel faced in the 6th century B.C. Because the Babylonians had come, they had sieged Jerusalem. And if you want to read something horrific, read Lamentations chapter 4. We won't read it today, but read it. Mothers boiling their children and eating them. Just to give you a preview of what to expect in Lamentations 4. When there's no food and there's no water and it's considered an act of compassion to eat your child so that he's no longer suffering is what you see in Lamentations chapter 4. The conditions under siege were horrifying. And when the siege finally ended, most people were killed. The city was burned down. The temple was destroyed. And survivors were taken to Babylon, modern-day Iraq, to live out their lives as exiles. This is the people of God that God has been faithful to. 
that God has loved and cared and poured out his blessing upon them. Now they're suffering this kind of devastation and horror. And the prophet Jeremiah had been preaching for years, Babylon is coming. Babylon is going to come. Judgment is coming. You have broken the covenant. You are being unfaithful to God. He's faithful to you, but you're faithless to him. It's not going to be good. No es bueno. Keep Spanish. Not good. And Jeremiah was the eyewitness. He was there. And he goes and he sees the desolation that is Jerusalem. And he knows that it's their own fault. God warned them. He gave them many, many chances for hundreds of years to repent. They refused. And so God was still faithful. But they had been faithless. So here's the second question about God's faithfulness. Can our faithlessness defeat God's faithfulness? This is here on the screen taking notes. Can our faithlessness defeat God's faithfulness? That is the question. Jeremiah, who wrote Lamentations, that he's struggling with this question. And you hear his struggle in Lamentations chapter 3. We'll read the first 19 verses in this beautiful poem, this lament. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath, he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turns aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what is happiness. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. Jeremiah is thinking the unthinkable. This is the Bible, inspired by the same Holy Spirit who inspired the rest of the Word. What you see here is God is the one depicted as having brought him into this terror of darkness, who's broken his bones, who's made his paths crooked. God is the bear. God is the lion tearing him 
to pieces. God is the archer who is shooting arrows into his kidneys. God is the one that has brought bitterness and tribulation. God is the one who has made his teeth grind on the gravel. And so he says that he has no peace. And Jeremiah has even forgotten. He can't remember what happiness is, what it felt like. And then he says, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. He says, his hope in God has died. Have you ever felt low? Have you ever felt like God must be against me? Have you ever felt like maybe God can't be trusted after all? Have you ever faced circumstances that feel like a Category 5 hurricane that is just demolishing your life and soul? Ever really been gripped by fear or pain like what you're seeing here with Jeremiah? Man, I love how the Bible is so real. I mean, this is just raw. What you have here in Lamentations 3 is a cry from a man who is being honest with God, honest with himself, honest how he feels and what he's experiencing when he sees the death and devastation that is Jerusalem. He's broken, and he's struggling, and he's in pain. And he knows that he and the rest of Israel are to blame because they've been unfaithful to God. They deserved this judgment. And deep down inside, every one of us knows that a lot of times our own suffering and our own struggles and our questioning God at its root is our own fault, our own foolishness. And we wish we could blame, and we try to shift and minimize and blame and point fingers, but if we're really honest, there's no one to blame but ourselves. And that was the situation with Jeremiah. Now, there's others of you that say, look, pastor, I'm struggling, and it's not my fault. It's his fault. And you know what? Maybe there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. I'm not going to argue with you. But here's the question. Have you ever responded to him in a sinful way? Maybe he did start it, but you're finishing it now. I don't know. But oftentimes, even our response to pain and suffering or injustice is equally sinful. And that has to be addressed as well. And then, if we're really honest, there are moments where we have pain and suffering that really is no one's fault. There's no one to blame. You, there is such thing as job loss because the economy tanks. And that's not your fault. There is such thing as tumors. It's a fallen world. There's no one to blame. It's a result of being in a world that is not holy and pure, where sin and death is still ruling until Christ returns. Christ does rule in our hearts now as our king, but he's not ruling over all of creation in that ultimate sense. That will happen. But right now, there are bad things that happen that there's no one to blame. Whatever your situation might be, do you honestly believe that God is 
faithful. With all your heart, in the uncertainty, do you truly believe that God is faithful? See, we can say yes, but oftentimes our focus is more on ourselves. You know, for honest, I think sometimes we have more faith in, our, in the power of our sin than faith in the power of God who is faithful. And we think, I can never change. This will never happen for me. I'll never be healed. This, this situation is impossible. And we, we put so much faith in that sin when the reality is that we need to put more faith in the God who is more powerful and more faithful. Can our faithlessness defeat the faithfulness of God? The Apostle Paul asked that exact same question. I'm not that creative. Romans 3.3, 3, he asks this same question. That's where I got the question from. Romans 3.3, 3, he asks this question. And then he answers, he says, by no means. He says, heck no. The answer is no. Our faithlessness cannot defeat the faithfulness of God. It cannot overcome God's faithfulness. And there's just no way. Because God's faithfulness is greater, greater than your sin, greater than your struggles, greater than your sickness, greater than your situation, greater than a possibility. He raises the dead. He, he takes spiritually dead people and transforms them into be white-hot worshipers of Jesus who hate their sin. That is not normal. This is supernatural. This is what God does. He is faithful. He is greater than our weaknesses. And so the answer is no. Our faithlessness cannot overcome God's faithfulness. But the third question is, but how? How does God then display his faithfulness? How does he show that he is faithful? Let's keep reading where we left off of verse 20. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is just inspiring to me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I do have hope. He comes full circle. He's being honest. He's pouring out his heart to God. But then he says, but I do have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His love will never fail you. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Praise God. Praise God in heaven. Praise our God who gives us hope. We praise our God whose love never ends. We praise our God who is all-powerful and good and sovereign and merciful and faithful to us in our faithlessness to him. How does God display his faithfulness? Here's the answer. Mercy. Mercy towards sinners. 
great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. They never end. See, God promised Abraham that he would bless him and that there will be a multitude of people that will be descendants from Abraham and that he will bless all the nations of the world through a descendant of Abraham. And yes, we have been unfaithful to God in this covenant, but he has shown his faithfulness through his mercy. God always keeps his promises because Jesus is that promised descendant from Abraham. And so currently through his spirit, through our witness, he is saving people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And anyone who is in Christ is a descendant of Abraham, heirs according to promise. And so anyone that has union with Christ and is trusting in the finished sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is united to God. And so God's faithfulness, seen through Jesus, so his faithfulness now becomes your faithfulness. It's been transferred to you. So God sees you as faithful because Jesus made a way. He fulfilled our end of the covenants that we could not. He represented us. He maintained all of the requirements of the covenant. And so therefore, we now have a reconciled relationship with God. And the Father looks down upon you as his child, beloved, anointed, and faithful, holy, and set apart for him. And so we have hope in a God who is faithful. And he proved it with Jesus dying on the cross in our place and being resurrected powerfully. And so if you're a believer, you have tasted of the mercy of God and his mercies for you are new every morning. And so how do we respond as we kind of come in for a close, as we get our minds around the application of how God being faithful impacts you and me today? Fourth question, how must we respond to the faithfulness of God. How do we respond to his faithfulness? You know, it's not that hard. It's kind of easy when everything is going right in your life. But the second that life gets hard, it's no longer easy to respond to God. When you're walking in deep waters, when you're going through the fire or the valley of the shadow of death, and you're facing deep sorrows or overwhelming struggles, how do you respond? When the person that you love the most in this world is waiting on medical tests and you don't know what's going to happen to her, how do I respond? We rest. We rest in the faithfulness of God. This is what we do. We rest in the faithfulness of God. You rest your soul in the character of God. You remember that God is faithful. Jesus overcame sin. He overcame the grave, and he's a resurrected 
king who can overcome whatever you or I are facing and going through. He will never leave us. He will never fail us. And he allows us to go through the fires of life, which are incredibly painful. He allows us to go through such uncertainty. He allows these things under his sovereign will. He allows these things so that we will draw closer to him so that we will see his glory more clearly, so that we will experience more of his presence, so that we will trust him in a deeper way and know him more profoundly. He allows these things because he's using it to display his glory and for our good. And so our God is faithful. And so we continue to look to Jesus no matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter how difficult or how bleak it looks. We will continue to look to Jesus. And when we do, what we're doing is is we're resting our souls in him. In Christ, we don't have a hopeless end. We have endless hope. This is what we have. And God is using our circumstances to drive us on our faces, to bow before him, and to rest in the faithfulness of God. The next way that we respond to his faithfulness is we reflect. We reflect the faithfulness of God. We have been designed to reflect his faithfulness by being faithful to God, first of all, and then to others as well. You can't fake this. Hear me. You can't fake faithfulness. Either you're going to yearn to truly love and obey God or you won't. You can fake it for a while maybe, but not long term. Are you a trustworthy person? Are you an honest person? Are you dependable and loyal? If not, your heart must change. How? Well, resting leads to reflecting. That's how this works. You rest your soul. You draw near to God. You enjoy his presence. His spirit changes your desires, and then you're going to reflect his glory, his character, in this case, his faithfulness. And so resting in God is what will lead to you then reflecting him. So we have to rest our souls in him, reading his word pouring over it, sharing our hearts and being honest with God the way Jeremiah was. But what we're going through is saying, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I need you. We pour our hearts out to him knowing that he is good. My heart's desire for this church is that we would be a truly powerful church, a church that is so gripped by the glory of our resurrected king that is so overwhelmed with the passion to know him, to make him known among the lost, that we are so saturated by his spirit that our enemy, Satan, won't even want to come near because he's going to be afraid. I, I would just, I have this passion to see a church that wants to reach this city. There are souls that have to be Reads, there are souls that have to be healed and reconciled to their God in heaven. And God has called us 
to reach them. This is why we're here, to glorify God by making and developing disciples. We are that light to the nations, and may we see the glory of God. May the heavens be opened to us so that we see the glory of God on the face of Jesus so that we can see more people join us in worshiping this God who is faithful. Pray with me. Father, we are in awe that you would lavish your love upon us. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are at work in our hearts and in our lives. We pray that you would continue to bless this morning. We want to be a church that is faithful, for you are faithful. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.